That's certainly not the way we thought it would end. Let's go in depth on what went wrong and what the UCLA Bruins have to do next. This is Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Locked On UCLA podcast. Today is a day of mourning for the UCLA men's basketball team's 2022-23 season. I'm Zach anderson Yoxheimer alongside Max Kelton once again. Thanks for making Locked On UCLA your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever you get your podcasts, and it's available on YouTube. So like, comment, and subscribe over there. Go follow our Twitter page. It's Locked On Bruins. Confusing, I know. In the meantime, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. So, Max, you know, we've had a there's a variety of emotions going through that game. It was a roller coaster. The first 20 minutes, the Bruins couldn't have looked more dominant, more offensively efficient. And while they couldn't necessarily stop Gonzaga from making shots, enough swipes, enough steals turning into, I believe, a plus 13 margin in points off turnovers, and UCLA thus had a 13-point lead at the half. After all was said and done, you could see the Bruins get clearly gassed, Gonzaga doing enough switches defensively, and the Bruins making a lot of, not making, but missing a lot of pretty primetime open looks and key stretches, and then just a big Gonzaga run buoyed by an 11-minute-plus field goal-less drought. Let's say that again. 11 minutes without making a field goal. So they had a couple points sprinkled in there, but UCLA ended up not coming away with the win, losing 79-76. Max, what stood out to you, one thing, two things, for UCLA in this game as to why they didn't come out in front? Well, in the first half, they scored the ball well. They held Gonzaga to a bad efficiency from the field. We talked about this, though, a couple shows ago, how good Gonzaga is in the second half when they don't play their game in the first first 20 minutes. They're really good at turning it on in the second half. Um, and it was it was allowing offensive rebounds and second chance opportunities. At one point, Gonzaga had outscored UCLA in the second half, eighteen to nothing on second chance opportunities, a minus twenty four rebound margin, um, and you allowed Drew Timmy thirty six points. So many of them off of offensive rebounds, second chance opportunities, and. That you know, it, it led it led to their demise. When you can't keep pace on the scoring end, and teams are just shooting the ball and then getting more chances to make shots. Eleven minutes without a shot—that is that is not a formula for success, no doubt. I, I, I'm surprised it was this close, frankly. Um, no, no doubt, Gonzaga played better down the stretch. It was a disappointing loss. UCLA, I believe, had three guys score in double figures in the first half. Let's take, let's take a look at that real quick. You had Amari Bailey with 13, Tiger Campbell with 13, and Jaime Jaquez with 12. All those guys almost shooting 50% or better. In the second half, you had Bailey with six points, Campbell with one, and that was really what was the difference there. Bailey hitting the big three late, so if he didn't hit that, Three at the end, he would only have three second chance, second half points alongside with Tiger Campbell's one free throw make. So overall, I think one of the biggest sequences in the game, I brought this up in the reaction, there's two sequences that really made a difference in this one. 
I, I forget where it was in the minutes of the game. It's kind of missing my memory right now, but it was clear. They're up 12. Gonzaga hit a fr- got a bucket, went to timeout. It was an and one. Missed the free throw, got the rebound, scored again. And then when the TV broadcast was too busy doing with the commercial or whatever, they missed this weird 10-second violation, which Gonzaga got the ball back and made another layup. And it went from a 12-point game to a 6-point game amidst some confusion, and then the game was on. The most important thing I thought that could have made a difference in this game, I believe it was 61-59. It was about eight minutes left in the game, just a little under. Mark Few sent Drew Timmy to the bench. UCLA could not get any closer, and their deficit got even wider. Malachi Smith was hitting big buckets. The transfer, I believe, from Chattanooga, the, uh, he was a conference player of the year. He was the sixth player of the year in the WCC, conference player of the year when he, where he just transferred from. He made big buckets and was scoring at will, getting some boards when Timmy wasn't in there. And UCLA still struggled to score in the paint. So when Timmy was out around that couple-of-minute mark where they were within two and that margin got wider and wider is where I felt like the game was almost over. It wasn't because it literally wasn't. But that is where it felt like one of those two sequences truly lost the game. It was the midst of the 11-minute lack of field goals. But when they couldn't score with Timmy out, that's what really felt like the dagger in this one. No doubt about it. And um, I remember I remember that 10-second call, the, the, what, what looked like it could have been a kicking, you know, a, um, a kickball penalty. But, um, you know, this – this comes down to just not making shots down the stretch when you needed it most because the Bruins were gassed. We talk about how injuries have affected UCLA. It's not necessarily that it affects the schemes or the, the, the rotations in terms of what the game plan is set to do. Everybody is in, is in that next man up mentality, but there's not enough depth on this team. Jalen Clark not only provided a defensive stalwart, he he provided a source of extra minutes for those guys like Jaime Hawkins, Tiger Campbell to come off and breathe a little bit. You saw, I mean, it it, it was clear. Jaime Hawkins was tired at the end of that game. He's the epitome of a winner. And coming down to the stretch, when when it was the end of the game, when it was timeout after timeout after timeout after timeout, he was able to get back into his own. But in that, you know, 10 minutes left mark um, in the second half, right around then, it was clear that the starters were gassed because UCLA, what, they they only rotated eight, and ETN and McClendon had four minutes each, so they really didn't rotate much. Hawkes, 39 minutes. You know, Campbell played, played nearly the entirety of the game. They just were tired. They were exhausted from playing so much ball. And you talk about not only tired from this game, but from the last couple of weeks, man, it's been a similar minimal rotation. And this is where they could have used Jalen Clark. No Adembona as well. That would have been we're gonna, really We're going to talk about that too. We're going to talk about Adembona when we tell you first about FanDuel. Because it's funny, we talk about Adembona, right? The line had favored UCLA coming this game. I didn't even realize it. Of course, I was not exactly physically there. Neither were you, Max. It it just seemed like there was a questionable ability that he would play. That's why I think FanDuel, many sports books, probably had UCLA winning this game, being the higher seed. But if we all knew what had happened, FanDuel probably wouldn't have had UCLA as the favorite. And I said they wouldn't cover. Technically, they didn't, but they obviously didn't win the game. But that's why, if you bet on this game, 
and you were a first-time better and you lost money, well, you can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn is where you sign up if you're a new customer. Still the tournament heating up. You know, the, the national championship games just around the corner, the Final Four, all the games. I know we're heartbroken, but I'm assuming most of us are sports fans and still are going to begrudgingly turn it on and watch the Zags take on UConn, or maybe we'll just turn it off for a weekend. Either way, you're going to go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and try and get that no-sweat first bet, because it might have been a tough one last night. Either way, you bet. You were sweating it either way until the very end. So we'll talk about it more, just make every moment more with FanDuel. Cruising on here on Locked On UCLA, I kind of just touched on it. Adem Bona, we didn't realize he was not going to play. At least I didn't think that was the case. We saw guys walking. We even saw Bona with no sling rocking into the bus as they traveled to Vegas. But then we recorded some episodes before we saw Bona. Oh, he's not really shooting as much. He hasn't shot the ball in practice. And it had to be something severely wrong. That dunk against Northwestern must have truly re-aggravated something in that left shoulder because he was in pain. He came back in, of course, the adrenaline of everything, and what caught everybody's eye was the singleton ankle turn, a little bit of a twist from Amari Bailey in that Northwestern game. But what truly was one of the key factors, which playing over and over again, Max, Adem Bona was going to be a necessary star in this one for UCLA to win this game. And while they almost did, they could have probably should have won without him. In the end, the two games they lost at the end of the year without Jalen Clark, what was the same recipe? A big man going off, or, you know, two big men in the case of Arizona, and a Dem Bona not playing, and UCLA missing a three at the buzzer. Those were the two games they lost on neutral sites in Las Vegas, where they had big second-half leads, got gassed, and just ran out of real estate, ran out of room. And those are the two games they lost. Mind you, that's without the conference player, the defensive conference player of the year, who could very well be the defensive national player of the year. So it's interesting. You know, Gonzaga, to their credit, they played what they needed to do. They made their adjustments. But again, think about it, Max. I know I'm hogging all the time here, but sit here thinking the two games they lost were basically at the buzzer to two teams on neutral sites in Vegas with two starters out. Both games where Adem Bono was crucially needed and a big factor and would have been needed just to give somebody some rest somewhere in a game where Timmy went for 36 or Tabellas and Balo squeaked away a win back in the Pac-12 tournament final. That is what's crushing considering even us going in maybe didn't realize the questionable was more doubtful than it was questionable. I think we were optimistic having seen him played against Northwestern, you know, this is, by the way, let's let's look at what UCLA has faced in this tournament so far. They faced Drew Pember, who is a terrific big, but he shoots the ball really well. And frankly, UNC Asheville just doesn't stack up to these teams on the big stage. So that first round won by, what, 32? A huge win, no doubt, but it wasn't like they were facing that talent level that Gonzaga has. Then they faced against Northwestern. Um, that's a small team. Boo Booey runs that team. It's not like they have a ton of size themselves. All right, Bruins able to skate by. Here, in a game where Gonzaga certainly has the size to run with the big dogs, Drew Timmy went off a minus 24 rebounding uh, margin. I can't stress that enough. Adem Bona being able to squeak in and steal some of those rebounds and maybe grab some offensive boards to, to, to deliver second chance opportunities. That would have been the difference in this one. 
That would have been the difference. Two players in double digits on the rebounding end for Gonzaga. Both Strother and Drew Timmy. Strother hitting that three toward the end of the game is brutal. Can't believe he pulled up from 30 feet out. Um, I saw Mark Fuse's interview after the game. It looked like it was Jay Wright's uh, Villanova play where he drew up, you know, that that feed, uh, that pass back to win the game. It's just it, it was a brutal loss, but you know, it can't harp too 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 much on 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 Bona not being there because the rest of this team has to step up too. David Nuba, or excuse me, Ken, Kenneth Kenneth Nuba. Kenneth, Kenneth Nuba. Uh, he had a couple of big blocks, especially one late, but he had one rebound. He had one rebound. Are you kidding me? It was 50 to 26 on the boards. That's unacceptable. It's the sweet 16. You got to be you got to be better on the boards and that led to a, a three-point loss. That's all it was. And what's interesting is Nuba and Etienne combined for a rebounds in 37 minutes between the two of them. <laughs> Which is, you know, painful. I mean, Nuba was playing his heart out. He had to play a whole bunch of minutes. That he's not he's not conditioned to play 32 minutes. Yeah. He could have played 20 really good minutes if Bona needed some extra minutes, but he knew he was geared up. I saw in his eyes just the determination, the will to step in front. But again, your, your point remains true. Your two biggest players on the floor, your two postmen, grabbed a rebound. And that is why UCLA... We talked about it. I saw the comments say, Drew Timmy, yeah, he's going to get his. Rebounds, yada, 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 yada. Well, as much as I wanted to throw other X factors, it really came down to Drew Timmy getting whatever he wanted when Gonzaga couldn't do much. If they had missed a couple, if Timmy had missed some bunnies in the first half, or if he saw that clip of that early shot he made in the first half where he traveled like 30 times, twisting, I don't know if you saw it, it was the Adam Morrison Twitter page where he just pivoted his foot. It was like, oh, pivot, travel, travel, yep, travel. Yep. Um, if you haven't seen it, go to Twitter, look up the Adam Morrison crying. I don't know what it's called. Morrison crying. Picture of Timmy literally traveling traveling in the first clip. But whatever. He has good footwork 90% of the time. He's probably not traveling. I could be wrong there. But if he misses a couple of those bunnies and UCLA was playing as well as they were, they could have been up by more than 20. And I know the game plan was to stop everybody else. But in the end, everybody else made the big shots. Smith was keying when Timmy was on the bench. Strother hit the game-winning three, and because it's March, you're going to pull up from half court and hit a winner, right? This is March Madness. You come back down 10 when everybody thought the game was over. The East Coast was asleep. Vegas wasn't sleeping. The West Coast wasn't sleeping. I hope nobody on the East Coast was sleeping. But in the end, Strother pulled up from half court on a championship equality winning play, and Strother buries it when I was leaping for joy that he took it, only to be so distraught that he actually made it and find out that, hey, it's March. It's March. Only to see that UCLA still had a chance, but because it's March, Tiger Campbell's, I believe, only turnover came in the final 12 seconds, right? So there's so many things that factored into this. But again, I think your point is true. Your two big men grabbed a rebound. The UCLA Bruins got tired. It took till what? Six minutes left in the first half before Mick Cronin put in an actual sub. And I think he was very reluctant to do so with the freshman yep. Between Andrews and McClendon and technically Etienne is a long-time freshman in terms of eligibility. Sure. It's it's just disheartening because they, they made nine field goals, but for almost 18 minutes, it seemed like they had made five, and they made four in the final minute in a flurry. And we, we had these checklists, right? And I felt like UCLA had to miraculously steal a game. If you want to win a championship, this is the type of game you have to steal where you have no business winning it. 
Virginia, I thought UCLA would have to go like Virginia in 19, where they had no business winning a championship considering all the late game deficits. Hey, we were watching that Virginia comeback against Purdue years ago, Max. I remember that buzzer beater uh, against Purdue to send it to overtime or double overtime, whatever it was. UCLA needed to win a bunch of close games, grind it out against Northwestern, pull off a miracle against Gonzaga, rest, hope Bono is healthy and beat UConn. In the end, that's a lot of things that have to go right. And it was a little bit too much. Yep. And you needed one to go right, but you couldn't have everything go right. It's funny, you know, you talk about a game that one team didn't deserve to win. Frankly, I didn't think Gonzaga deserved to win this game. Um, UCLA had outplayed them up until the 12-minute mark in the second half but before the Zags turned it on defensively. The fact that it was even close for the Bruins at the end is very impressive, too. Amari Bailey knocking down that three-point shot. He's a young dude, right? He's got plenty more in the tank, you know, moving forward. He's a young dude. With 13 seconds left, for them to have the faith in that young man to drop down a three and to give him a lead again is so impressive. Um, the fact that Strother made that three-pointer at the end is shocking. Um, but you know what? Not only that, it was it was just it was such an offensive clinic for the for the Zags in the second half. And Timmy shooting 67% from the field, 16 for 24 en route to 36 points is one of the best scoring performances the tournament has ever seen. You can't do that against a defensive-minded team. The Bruins are known for their defense, right? What are we doing here? Gonzaga gave this game away, and the Bruins just did not want it. This is a team that shot 52% from free throws. Those are free points that the Zags just didn't take. The Bruins just could not hold on. It's unbelievable that UCLA fell, let this game fall through the cracks because Gonzaga did not deserve it. But I just, I give credit where credit's due. Drew Timmy was impeccable. Strother toward the end of the game. That's one of the great shots see and remember for years to come when we see this next year in the elite eight these two teams play they'll go back to see this this shot from strother and they'll say come on revenge for the bruins but it's been heartbreak city for ucla for far too long and this team need, needed to come out on top it was crushing unfortunately it's the third straight loss to gonzaga in the tournament to include the suggs buzzer beater i believe the 2015 game where UCLA was simply overmatched against Gonzaga then about now eight years ago, which is remarkable. And then this one, I, I maybe might not take as much of a slanted, angry approach. This is just kind of an emotional therapy session session for me, Max. I, I think this game showed a lot of their championship makeup and the heart and the grit that Mick Cronin put into this team all year long. And is it the fact that, hey, Bad luck happened. Well, yeah, Tennessee made it to the Sweet 16, and their best player got hurt, right? Houston's dealt with their best player getting injured. But UCLA, in the end, went from almost no injuries, a Bailey little hiccup, but then Bona missing at the wrong time, right? And then Clark in the regular season finale, where you could have got that win playing for the one seed. In the end, they were good enough to win it regardless of what seed they were, right? If they were just healthy. And that just sucks that they showed their championship character in a game that they were leading, and you could just tell Gonzaga was going to fight back only to see UCLA make one last dash. You thought Heartbreak City 2.0 was happening, and instead they fell heartbreakingly short. 
We're going to dive deeper into Locked On UCLA in terms of what's next. Because today, that, that there isn't that question. There's a lot of things to be answered. Will Tiger come back? Is Amari Bailey coming back? Is Adembona coming back? Those are all these questions. What do these freshmen this year look like as sophomores next year? What do the Williams and the, the Max of the world, what do they look like coming in the class of 23 into next year's class, the final year of the Pac-12? Those are all questions that will be asked and we will try to answer them to the best of our ability coming up in the next few weeks, months, to the, the rest of the offseason, until next season. But in the end, I think we have to applaud the Bruins for what it was. It sucks that it ended this way, but I think you have to really admire the heart of this team and the character of this team. And if you're going to go out and truly, truly thrash them, I know, Max, we're both being a bit emotional here, but if you're going to really just rip this team, I don't think that's truly fair. I know your criticism, I think, is fairly you know, fair. Like They had this game in the balance. They had it, and they didn't have it. So as we look to find out more about UCLA, we'll talk about them more later. But in the meantime, we are going to talk UCLA women's basketball because they're playing the number one team in the country in the Sweet 16 against the Gamecocks. But first, we will tell you about Built Bar. The Built Bar March Madness bracket is here. You know, we have a favorite. If you have a favorite Built Bar or a puff, you're going to want to go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. And when you have your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked on listeners will get a free bar built. Not only that, one lucky person will get a 12 month subscription and have the Built's best bars and puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You got to try Built, the best protein bar ever. Seriously, they're amazing. You don't even think they're good for you. 100% real chocolate, high in protein. Run to BuiltMarchMadness.com, vote for your favorite par or puff, and potentially win a year-long subscription to Built Bar. Cruising on in Locked On UCLA, Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer, alongside Max Kelton. Final segment, we're talking UCLA women's hoops because they are taking on South Carolina. And while we needed some emotional, therapeutic screaming and yelling about UCLA losing to Gonzaga because one reaction, another Mm -hmm. reaction, and a third reaction wasn't enough, We've got to move on and talk about UCLA women because they've got a big chance to upset South Carolina, an opportunity where they get a second chance at trying to beat the Gamecocks this year, where they were tied heading into the fourth quarter only to get outscored by nine in a final 10 minutes where the Gamecocks shot 18 free throws in 10 minutes in those final 10 minutes of the fourth quarter where the UCLA Bruins had a lead, leading into halftime, leading into third quarter, whatever it was. They had their chances. Max, give me your thoughts about the Bruins. Coming off an impressive fourth quarter against Oklahoma, how do they go against a second chance against South Carolina? South Carolina is the best team in the country. It's clear 34-0. Haven't lost this year, but there are holes on this team. This is a team that certainly relies on size and struggles from the free throw line. I say you don't give them any free opportunities. Be physical. This is a game where you have to be physical. You're going to see a couple of stars in foul trouble. Don't be don't be surprised if you see some some Bruins with three or four fouls late in this game. Corey Close knows that it's about the physicality against a team that's led by Aaliyah Boston and you know Zia Cook. Who uh, well, let, let's keep it let's keep it real. Boston is one of the best players in the nation. She is incredible. At, not only getting the ball inside, but then delivering rebounds on the offensive end that uh, lead to second-chance opportunities. That's what we saw on the men's side that hurt hurt the Bruins, right? But you look at this team, they don't shoot the three ball well, right? 
And they also, for a team that is so big, often you see teams that with, with some size struggle with the turnovers, especially in the post. Not this team. Incredibly smart, incredibly well coached. Uh, but the Bruins have all the capabilities to beat South Carolina. And we've seen the Gamecocks late in games um, really struggle to close out games. So you have to be really weary of when when the Bruins, if the Bruins do have a lead late in this one, thinking that it's over, right? And it sounds silly against a team that's number one in the country that hasn't lost to get comfortable and think that a game is over. But you know what? Frankly, I, I, I wouldn't be surprising because, you know, Often that's that's what we do. That's what we do in games that we we consider, you know, late. It's like, all right, we have this in the bag. We have this in control. And, you know, then you go 11 minutes without scoring a field goal. So, so you know, I, one thing that the Bruins did really well in the first game is they played the first 30 minutes, their brand of basketball. What they didn't do well is then in the last quarter, they let, they let off the accelerator. And they missed a lot of shots that, this team is expected to make 0 of 8 from three-point land. I can't emphasize that enough. If the Bruins had hit just a couple of those threes, I, I think it really would have been a different game. This is a, a Bruins team led by Charisma Osborne, and I think Gina Conti could have a really big game today. I think Gabriela Hawkes off the bench, she needs to be an energizer bunny. She needs to find the floor. She needs to scrap for loose balls. This is not a game where you're going to get – those free rebounds and get out and run the same way that you would expect on, on a couple other teams like you would against Oklahoma, who plays very fast pace. No, South Carolina slows the ball down. They love to play with size, but you have to send them to the foul line, and the Gamecocks will have to beat the Bruins at the free throw line. That's got to be the key for UCLA. And the funny thing is, in the fourth quarter last time, they hit 14 of their 18 free throws. The big thing is, who do you send to the free throw line? Because Aaliyah Boston yeah. was excellent at the charity stripes. She went 8 for 11, 5 for 7 for the field, 18 and 10 against UCLA. The big thing, talk about those missed shots, Max. South Carolina just swatted <laughs> the living flies, whatever it is, manure. Yeah. They literally yeah. swatted every shot for UCLA. They had 15 blocks on UCLA. Yeah. The Bruins repeatedly, if you remember watching that game, Charisma Osborne and all the Bruins were going inside, Bessoir, they would say, this is the no-fly zone. They would go, you know, the Matumbo, nope, don't come in here. This is my house. Swat it repeatedly, which is what the Bruins sure. have done sometimes when they get into late closeout situations against the Stanford earlier in the year, you know, against an Arizona when they collapsed. We've seen this before where the UCLA Bruins had fallen short the fourth quarter and South Carolina has the uber-athleticism and the size to ensure you try to come in the paint, it's not going to happen. And while they were making good plays, they're hitting timely shots, especially a nice paced third quarter with some threes, some timely third, third, timely threes in the second, timely threes in the third. But between the first and fourth quarters, the Bruins are 0 for 10. In the middle quarters, UCLA was 5 for 11 from three. And maybe there's a couple of calls that didn't go their way because they're playing at South Carolina. This next game will be in Greenville, South Carolina for the regional. So UCLA is going to have their trouble cut out for them against South Carolina. I've seen South Carolina in person they're a unique team. You know, they're so good. They're deceptively good, right? Aaliyah Boston's really good. Zaya Cook, who had 12 points and a couple of boards. But it's going to come down to how good Don Staley's team is defensively. Really good. They don't allow you any easy buckets. 
And the Bruins will have to grind and have to have really good offensive sets. And we saw them do this to Stanford in the Pac-12 tournament. We saw them almost choke it away to Oklahoma in the second round of the tournament at home. And now you got to go in the home state of South Carolina and try to knock off the number one team in the country. The one team I had literally said UCLA must avoid in playing in the Sweet 16. You'd rather push it off later in the Final Four, whatever it is. UCLA got this, has this toughness, right? I believe two number one seeds have already fallen on the women's side. Can the Bruins make it three? Everything, whether you want to look at odds, everything would probably tell you no. But the Bruins have already played South Carolina tough. And they've proven they can beat good teams and they can compete with great teams. But it's a difference when you get to the later stages of the tournament, a few days to rest, even one day longer for South Carolina, who pretty much doesn't yet have to travel, paired from UCLA, from LA, across the country, and then tr- take on a team that's booming with confidence. South Carolina is not satisfied with one national championship. They're trying to become the next UConn if they haven't slowly usurped them recently at this moment. Of course, UConn's a big brand, especially on the women's side. But for UCLA, they're trying to prove, hey, this season is not done yet. Charisma Osborne had a super, super, uber superb effort last time out against Oklahoma. And if she can do that again and get help from anywhere, whether it's Hawkins, whether it's London Jones off the bench, she was quiet last game. Whoever helps out Osborne, if it's Bessoir hitting some threes, an all-packed 12 tournament team member, then UCLA will certainly be paced for an entertaining matchup against South Carolina. Do I have any idea how this is going to go? No, because they've given South Carolina their best 30-minute effort once. Can they give them their best 40-minute effort in the second meeting? Who knows? I don't know what Don Staley's got cooking up. I'm not sure what Corey Close has got cooking up. It's very interesting. I will say... South Carolina is beatable. Will that mean they lose? No, no, no. But they are not. They they have, you know, there are some weaknesses in their armor. But they're very shy, right? It's like they got defense that can make up for it. So that is why I think UCLA, there's a chance. There's always a chance, especially in this game. But it's not fully likely that they'll win this game, especially technically on the road. I, I uh, I don't disagree with you. Um, two players on this team in Cardoso and Boston, each averaging two blocks or more. Incredibly difficult to score two pointers on, on South Carolina. But hey, if the Bruins are shooting the ball well from outside, anything can happen. It's March, isn't it? You know, so let's, let's go Bruins. It's March Madness, right? March Madness for the men and the women, baby. Let's get ready to go. That's Max Kelton. I'm Zach Anderson, Yak Simon. We're going to talk more Locked On UCLA coming up in the future. We're going to talk the future of the men. We'll react to what the women did against South Carolina. We'll see what they can do. We've got softball and baseball and everything in between. We'll talk about it here in Locked On UCLA. It is a somber one, though, so we will have an eight clap to end this one. Thanks for tuning in to Locked On UCLA and making it your first listen. Eight clap time. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You. See. LA, UCLA, fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.